Hello and welcome to the Try Talking Sport podcast hosted by me, Joanne Murphy. Whether you are an athlete, adventurer, endurance enthusiast or simply have an interest in sport, you've come to the right place for inspiration, encouragement, motivation and of course some entertainment. It's the last week of January 2021, another week of lockdown in Ireland navigated safely. I hope you're doing okay and staying safe. January is always a difficult month for me. We lost my father quite suddenly 17 years ago this week and the month is always tinged with a little extra sadness. My much cherished uncle passed away just a month ago and that has heightened my grief, sadness and heartache this year I think. But there are so many people going through tough times at the moment. Lots of families grieving and coming to terms with the loss of a loved one. If you are one of them, be sure to mind yourself, reach out to those who can bring you comfort and try to find the things in life that can bring some joy to your day. I've been busy the last couple of weeks trying to stay out of trouble and work through the last of my 2020 to-do list. I'm treating the 1st of February as my new year, so setting myself a deadline to get the 2020 jobs done and dusted and the 2021 list started, including setting some nice goals for the year ahead. More on those as we progress throughout the year. I'm not sure where or how this year is going to go, but I'm going to stay positive and trying to stay motivated despite the roller coaster this year is going to be. It's never too late to start setting goals, and as Anna discusses in this episode, goals that are just out of or just within reach are as important as those that may be big, scary ones. Have you set goals for 2021? How are you getting on with them? Be sure to get in touch and let me know how you are getting on. You can keep me motivated to stick to my goals by telling me yours. I do plan to keep swimming every day. The daily habit is like a lifeline, a reset button on body and mind every day. And although it's a big smiley head you see on social after the swim, some days it takes a bit of convincing to get myself to the sea. But I have to say, I never regret it. This week, I embraced my coldest swim to date. 3.6 degrees. Yes, you heard me correctly. 3.6 degrees of cold water. Bliss. It was actually ice swimming territory. Now, I didn't last too long in the water, but it wasn't about the time. It was just about embracing the cold and how that would feel. And despite the sharpness of the water, it was bloody exhilarating. I was buzzing for the day after it. More so than any other swim of late. I'm not sure if it was the cold water, stepping outside of my comfort zone, the joy of the sea, or maybe it was just the combination of all three, but it was amazing. Now, a word of warning if you are thinking of taking the plunge into cold water. Please be careful and be sensible. I've been acclimatising to the cold water for months at this stage and safety is always paramount when facing the power of the water in any form or any temperature. If you haven't checked out our Zwift spin on a Monday night, then you are seriously missing out. FOMO Central, I'm telling you, it is one of the highlights of the week. 7.30pm on a Monday night opened all riders and all abilities. We had over 200 people on the spin this week. With about 80 of those on Discord, the crack was mighty. It's the best free entertainment you will get whilst getting fit. Check it out on the Zwift calendar, Team Ireland, Try Talking Sport, Park Try, Social Spin, 7.30pm every single Monday night. Now you may have seen on social that we set up another cook-off challenge with ultra-endurance cyclist Joe Barr and performance nutritionist Gillian Mooney. This week it's Joe's Jumbo Gumbo packing a punch in flavour, nutrients and performance. If you'd like the recipe, just drop me an email to trytalkingsport at gmail.com. For this episode of the show, we went back to South Africa, this time to Cape Town, to chat with professional athlete Anna Watkinson. And wow, what a chat it was. There is so much in this episode to take away, you may need to listen to it twice. 
Anna, the current South African female Ironman record holder, decided to pursue her passion as a professional triathlete whilst balancing a successful career with ABSA Corporate and Investment Bank. Anna is a director heading up global finance for the coastal regions. Her passion for both her professions is evident from the success she has enjoyed across all areas of her busy life. It was running initially that led Anna to the world of endurance sport. She quickly became hooked on triathlon and was almost instantly a successful age group athlete. She earned multiple wins and podium finishes in numerous events as an age group athlete and finished third in her age group at the Ironman World Championships in 2015. She took the plunge to the professional ranks in 2016 and has enjoyed much success against some of the best athletes in the world. 2019 was a superb year for Anna, winning the Ironman 70.3 South Africa as well as taking third place at the Ironman South Africa later in the year, which secured her place to race in Kona as a professional athlete. Anna finished in the top 20 at the World Championships in 2019, which was the highest position of the female South African athlete on the day, something that she is immensely proud of. Anna's success comes off the back of managing a busy life in finance and in sport. Finding the balance to both is the key to her success. She is, by her own admission, disciplined, but she is also determined and dedicated to both of her careers. Her positivity and resilience in the face of adversity, coupled with her passion to succeed and be the very best she can be, sees her live her life with gratitude and humility for the opportunities she has both forged for herself and has been given in life. Enjoy the show. Anna Watkinson, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It is a cool day in the west of Ireland in Galway. In fact, there is snow <laughs> falling around Ireland today, just not where I am. Where are you and what's the weather like? I'm in South Africa, Cape Town, and it's very beautiful and very bright and very warm with a little bit of wind, but we're not allowed to go to the beach. So pretty much stuck indoors if I'm not um, some bike or running. <laughs> Uh, stuck indoors because of COVID. Mostly because of COVID, yes. We had Emma Palland on the show in the last episode and she gave us a little bit of an insight into uh, what it's like being an athlete uh, during COVID in South Africa. Are you in a similar situation to Emma in terms of what you're allowed to do outside and what you must do inside? Absolutely. So Emma's in um, Johannesburg and I'm in Cape Town, so it's just a different province, but exactly the same rules we have to you know, follow. I think um, I'm quite lucky. I've always had a treadmill and a turbo trainer in my apartment and I've been lucky to be able to have that through a hard lockdown and, and the easing up of the lockdown. I am in Cape Town, which means, sorry to say, but I think it's slightly more beautiful than Joburg and probably one of the most beautiful places in the world um, with the mountain and the sea. And I live very close to um, Table Mountain and Lion's Head, which is almost on my, literally on the the back of my house so I'm able just to jump onto one of those trails and go for a walk or a or a run or a hike so I'm quite lucky we aren't allowed to like I said swim yet so um other than in the pool which we are very fortunate because I don't think in the UK and even I think largely Europe any of those gyms are open so we we do have that which is a is a bonus. So I feel like I should tell you about the amazing west of Ireland and Connemara and how lucky I am to be able when we're allowed out of lockdown to go west and out to Clifton and all letter frack and all of that area because I can tell you there's going to be lots of people listening in who are thinking oh my god Table Mountain as the training ground for an athlete wow so amazing. Um, So Anna we have loads to talk about your 
you're a phenomenal athlete, you're very, very successful in business and in sport. So I think we'll go backwards like I always do with our guests to find out where did this all begin? How have you ended up in the job that you're in professionally in sport, but also professionally in finance? Because you are one busy lady. (laughs) Um, absolutely I think that I didn't really I was never really that sporty in terms of swim bike or run or anything like athletic wise um, at school I did gymnastics and I loved that so that was what I did as a as a young kid Um, again I started at quite old well a little bit too old to really take it to any sort of stature or level I mean I think I was a part of the Transvaal team and that's really in the heyday because Transvaal doesn't exist anymore in South Africa. So also showing my age there. But I always wanted to be a professional. And I think through friends of mine when I was very young, I saw that they were accountants and I thought, well, that's the job. That looks like the thing that I want to do. Um, it looks mathematical, etc. I mean, little do I know that it really, <laughs> like quite slightly different to math. Um, anyway, I followed the the chartered accountant um, path, and the more I did of it, the more I enjoyed it. And I really, I, I don't know, I'm, I, I enjoy studying and learning, and so I enjoyed that course. And I kind of had this idea that I wanted to run a business or be a, a businesswoman. I don't really think I fundamentally knew what that meant. But as I went through my articles and, you know, I I was with PwC, it just, it opens so many doors for you in terms of what career path you want to go and also just the world. So I really enjoyed that. And then I went on to study my CFA, which is a certified financial analyst via the US, which was also, again, I'd gotten to a stage in my career and I was like, oh, I think I should study again. I think I'm a student per se. I like to use it. Um, But I thoroughly enjoyed that. And, and, And sort of, Gymnastics, obviously, when I was younger, fell to the wayside, and then I just went to gym to to keep fit and this, you know, thigh gap, the slim waist, whatever it was. <laughs> I don't think I ever had a thigh gap. <laughs> As my one friend once said to me when we were running up hills, um, I said, "Don't you just love it when your thighs rub together?" She goes, "No." I was like, "Sarcasm, <laughs> sarcasm." The chat could go in a totally different way now if we went down a whole body image thing. But we'll come back to uh, PwC running to stay fit, going to the gym and wanting to feel and look fabulous. Yes, I think that was exactly it. And then I went to the US, um, you know, on a secondment. So it ended up being about six months in in New York. And I did exactly as what every South African does when they first arrive there. And I sort of burnt the candle on both ends and it wasn't working and training. It was working and partying. (laughs) I was drinking a lot. I was eating all the food and I think I gained a lot of weight. And then I came back to South Africa and I was like, well, I might just start running. This is the way to lose a little bit of this weight. And then I was running about an hour on the treadmill. I didn't even think to go outside running. I just went to the gym and it was kind of something I just, knew and knew what to do there and one of the guys that I worked with said have you ever thought about running a race and I mean it's quite silly because I don't come from a sportive you know family and yet South Africa is very sporty in particular swim bike um, and run you know everyone's out doing something and we have a particular running culture and I was like okay I'll do 21 <laughs> and so he said well come do Northcliffe 21 it's the Sunday and I said well show me how to enter etc so I got there and then 
I saw him at the start line and he said to me, well, what are you going to go for? And I said, oh, kind of worked out what I was running on the treadmill, converted into what I was going to run for the 21. And he looked at me shocked and horror. I mean, I was going for two hours, which isn't phenomenally fast. It's not neither snow nor fast, I would say. It's kind of like your average Joe. And um, he said, you know, you've got to go up two major hills that you can't even, you know, you'll walk them. And those words were everything that I needed not to walk them. <laughs> but I remember coming into the field at the end of that 21 kilometers and thinking, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I've just done that. The sense of achievement and like just pure joy and like adulation for my body and what it had achieved in running 21 kilometers that I literally ran, I think, every weekend from then on, 21 kilometers. I just found all these races. I was like, I've got to do this. And really, that's how the bug hits and, uh, or should I say, bit. And then um, met a whole lot of people through that who kind of did triathlon and then met a boy who was into cycling, got me into cycling a little bit. I mean, I arrived with purple pants and a blue top and mountain bike shoes to go on my first road bike. <laughs> and I looked at me, so I think he, he he was like on a specialized tarmac and I was on like this built up bike. And uh, was this was this a date or was this just a friend going for a friendly no, cycle? No, this was a boyfriend who he, shame. He had actually built up the bike, but I literally he was like, What are you wearing? And I was like, This is all I have. I don't have cycling kits. So I mean, it was cold. I think I had three like undertops underneath, just long sleeve jerseys that I had underneath a cycling shirt that I think looked okay, and it was like every color under the sun. I must have looked like a unicorn on this bicycle. We'd pay um, big money now to have a top like that because all the bright colors are in. Exactly, and can be seen by traffic, which is also good. Yeah, know? we'll get to that. We'll get to that later in the interview. <laughs> um, and yeah, and then he was like, "We should do half Ironman." And so I was like, okay, why not? Um, I mean, I did everything wrong for that half Ironman, but the same sense of just pure joy and happiness running at the end of that. I just had such fun. I can't tell you on at that um, half Iron. So it was um, Ironman South Africa 70.3 um, in East London. And I just loved every moment. I remember being on that run and just like high-fiving everyone and singing along to the music. And I was like, this is just amazing. This is awesome. When can I do another one? And yeah, I think it was just, again, believing and seeing what you could do physically. I just had no, this world was a completely new world to me. I hadn't experienced it before when I was just fell in love. Now I feel like it's just a part of me um, and I can't exist without the other. And can I ask, in the very first run that you mentioned when your buddy said about walking up the hill, did you walk up the hill that time? No, that was that was literally like, I think the reason I didn't, I was like, I will not walk up this hill. I have subsequently run that race, I think twice before and run significantly faster. I think I've come top three there or top two and walked up the hill in those two times because I'd gone out so fast and it's so steep. Your nose literally scratches the tarmac. But that particular day, I did not walk. I was not going to walk. <laughs> so the running led to the cycling, led to the triathlon. Was that your very first triathlon, that half Ironman in East London? It was. Um, I did. We tried to do, we had a couple of short course triathlons and there was a series, an NHA series that was around um, or Joburg Tri-Series as it was subsequently called. 
and there was an accident and I won't go into the details of that, but ultimately they, they closed down the um, the bike. So it ended up being a swim and then a run. And I was like, well, this is nice. <laughs> Were you a swimmer fun. before that? No, I, I dabbled in a little bit of swimming at school, but nothing like, you know, did the, the school gala, but nothing. So I was able to swim. Um, it wasn't any, um, new to me. Um, but I think I came into the sport. Unfortunately, I've become or fortunately, I've become more of a, a student and, and understood it a lot more. But I came into the sport and I didn't know anything. So I'd get into the pool and I'd be like, see my friends and they'd be like, we're swimming three Ks today. And I'd be like, okay, we're swimming three Ks today. It like, wasn't like, oh, we can't swim three Ks or this is too far or how am I going to do this? It was just like, we're doing it. And there was nothing I couldn't do or worried about doing. And, and that was kind of the beauty and the innocence of, I suppose, joining it late, not knowing anything and just not knowing limitations and just finding your way. From that very first race in, in East London, you had a very successful career as an age group athlete. So quickly bring us through some of that, because uh, was it from 2015 to 2017, you were just on fire? I am. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's literally when I started. So I, I stopped a little bit and carried on with my studies. Like I said, I did the CFA. And then after that first um, East London triathlon, I was like, I came fourth in my age group. I'm like, hmm. I think I can race. Like I want to actually compete in this. So I spoke to a couple of the friends that I'd been running with that did did triathlon. And luckily, um, you know, it's amazing how when people have a little bit of belief in you, it almost accentuates the belief in yourself or validates that belief in yourself. And they were like, yeah, of course you can. And um, therefore, I think I'm one of those people that when I decide on something, it's the focus, it's everything or nothing. So I put all my energy into you know swim back and run and um the reward for it has just been unbelievable so yeah and then I um I had little like goals like okay you've got to beat this person or beat that person you know and it was more like this she's the gold standard in the sport or he's the gold standard in the age group so like go for that like I said South Africa has a very um big running community and I'm not sure if you know but park run was started by a South African and the background to that obviously is we have a lot of um, time trials, five kilometer and eight kilometer time trials um, with a lot of the running clubs like every Tuesday, Wednesday. I mean, you could probably find one every day of the week if you wanted to in a different part of Joburg. And I'd go there and they've got a little timing clock and you go out and it's like it feels like a race every you know, Tuesday. So And they're quite tough. And I'd go there and I just like I said, it was hugely rewarding trying to beat my time or beat this person or um, – and then, yeah, I'd rock up at these races, nervous as anything, um, but the gun would go off and I would just have the best time. Like, I just, I remember converting from 70.3 to an Ironman, and at the time, I was not going to do it. I was like, <laughs> I, everyone was like, you should do Ironman. I was like, no, there's no way I'm doing Ironman. It's far too far. It's, it's no, it's, I can't, it's just no. As you guys do it, I'll help you do a bit of training, but I'm not going to do it. And then I actually had a, a bicycle crash and broke my collarbone and my wrist in, um, it was a cycling race. It was the 94.7 in, in South Africa, which said I was ruled out for East London. And I was like, okay, I'll train for Ironman, but just to tick the box. <laughs> and then I did Ironman and it went really, really well. Um, I, I was very conservative. So I remember coming off the bike, I think like four or five girls passed me in the last 20 kilometers of the bike because I was stretching my legs and letting them rest because now it was going to be the marathon. My boyfriend at the time when I got up was like, what did you do? Did you have a puncture? I was like, no, I was just, I was just stretching my legs. 
<laughs> and then I ended up having a really good run. And I and I read all these things that you, you're going to go to these dark moments in, in the race. And I'd never like kind of went to that dark moment in the race. Like things hurt, you know, everything kind of hurts. But like you don't, like it was just so enjoyable. And again, you know, PE, uh, Port Elizabeth, where Ironman is held in South Africa, really lends itself to a great crowd. Um, and there's so much support. Um, and then, yeah, I ended up coming second age grouper and winning my age group. And I was like, oh, if I hadn't stretched my legs. <laughs> oh, wow. So then that was the that was the golden ticket to Kona then at that stage, was it? And I declined it. I was like, this is, <gasps> I've ticked the box. I'm not going to Kona. I'm never doing an Ironman again. That's it. Uh, it was lovely and I enjoyed it, but I don't think I'll do this again. And everyone exactly like you lo- looked at me with, with shock. The one guy that I met later in that year, he said to me, you did what? I would sell my parents for, <laughs> for a ticket. I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, no, no. I just wanted to tick the box. I've done it. Uh, even my um, very good friends also uh, afterwards, we sat at the table. You know, you go to the awards and you, you're waiting for your slot. And he's like, how can you be so definitive? And I was like, well, this is it. This is what I wanted to do. There is nothing compelling me to do more. And I don't. I can't tell you exactly when it switched, but there was a moment, I think, later on that year. And I was like, no, I think I must go back and actually race it. I think I, I think I'm, I've got more to give to this race. Um, you know, I didn't have um, what, what do they call it? Doms where I felt depressed after the race. I didn't, I actually felt quite satisfied and comfortable to walk away and then, like I said, later on, I was like, mm, maybe there's some unfinished business. Maybe I can also race this race. Um, and then subsequently came back. And, and then when I punched my ticket to Kona, then I was like, yes, I'm taking it. Please give it to me. <laughs> because, you know, you know, to, to turn it down the first time, it's never guaranteed. I mean, it's not even ever guaranteed as – well, it's definitely not guaranteed as a professional. Um, it is like a little bit of unicorn magic when you get it. <laughs> So you did go to Kona as an age group athlete. You went out there with aspirations to win your age group. Um, you finished in third, which was a fan- fantastic performance, even though I'm sure you will probably say it wasn't a great performance, as everybody will will say themselves about their own performance. But you did, in fact, finish third. But you've been back to Kona since as a professional athlete as well. Yes. So interestingly enough, the first time I qualified, I went and three weeks out, I broke my collarbone other side of the collarbone unfortunately so I actually went because five of my girlfriends had planned to come and watch because that was it I was going to Kona you know tick the box again that's the one and only time um and I went there I went and registered and I cried through the whole registration and then they took me for dope testing because I was one of the athletes obviously that was new and informed and I just cried through the whole dope (laughs) testing I think they must have thought what is wrong with this I'm like I can't even get to compete (laughs) Anyway, by the time the race came around, um, you know, I had cried all the tears and actually really got to enjoy the race. And, you know, as an age grouper, you do aspire and you look up to a lot of the professionals. Um, you think, I don't, I don't know what it is. I mean, because a lot of them have come, if not through the ranks of, of doing training, often age groupers that have gone, you know, thought, oh, actually, maybe this is something I could be good at. Let me do a little bit more and put in a little more effort. Um, it was Daniela's first Kona and Marinda Carfer, I think, had the 14 minute deficit and ran her down, and Sebastian Kinley won. And I just remember all this activity on the finish line, and I thought, oh no, this is something that you do actually have to do. 
I actually got goosebumps remembering it, thinking amazing. back to it. Oh, it was incredible. It was. I mean, like we won't re- repeat what C- Sebi said on the finish line. <laughs> like I can't effing believe believe it and I was like oh, did he just swear he's my new hero on the finish line um and then uh, I think so the next year I like put all sort of like then and focused you know like like I said I wanted to and thought I had unfinished business got the the slot and then having missed it and not being able to race in Kona it was like all really super focused for the next year to really get that that slot um and I did get that slot and then obviously came third and that was devastating. I, I think when you go to Kona, you know, it's a lot of people have written about it and said, when you arrive there, treat it like another race, but you don't. For some reason, you're like, I must do a little bit more training. I must get the really best this. I must get to it. And you overthink it and you overdo a lot of the things. And then you also get involved in a lot of the excitement and activity. And even though I was, I rested up a lot, et cetera, you can't help but like, oh, this is Kona. I must do everything like OTT. And so, again made a lot of mistakes and when I finished one of my very good friends uh, one of my best friends was there and one of the guys that's also one of my very best friends was there and he also came third or fourth in his age group and she looked at us me at our little ukile balls and she said you look so miserable she says do you understand what you've done and so it was good to have somebody from the outside saying wow look this is what you've done and so that that did help I think the hard part was I was kind of saying, well, if I've come and, you know, win my age group, that that then solidifies or justifies a decision in my head to be a professional athlete. And now it comes third, which, like, what does that mean? Like, how can you justify becoming a professional athlete? Um, so I spoke to everyone. As you've said, you're quite chatty. I'm very chatty as well. <laughs> so I spoke to everyone about my problem. Um, and mostly older, older friends of mine who said, look, Anna, it's what you don't do that you're a great never what you do do so go out there and why what have you got to lose you you know you you're in an age group probably just the girl to beat let you know try and you know the catalyst was actually my my coach at the time Reynard that said to me Reynard I think also uh, you know did very well in Kona a couple of years um and he'd said you know you will elevate your performance by racing against these girls and Yes. So then last year, you know, I've moved on from Reynard to Raphael. And last year I got, or last year, I say last year, like last year actually happened, but actually 2019, because 2020 is just a whole. Um, I got to race as a professional, which was very exciting. But again, went there, made some other mistakes. (laughs) So you learn every time that you go there. And I think having said that, I'm satisfied given the state that I was in with the position I ended up in. And, the, and able to finish, you know, in the way that I did, you know, and, and stupid things like taking on too much sodium or trying to change a little bit of your nutrition that you had already dialed in. Don't, you know, really don't do anything differently. Yeah, there's a lot of pressure when you go to Kona that it is the perfect day, though. Like there is a lot of pressure from 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 what even what yeah. you've said there from when you, you know, you're talking about your training, you're trying to get that extra bit out of yourself every time when really you just potentially need to do what you did previously to get to the slot anyway. Um, but that everybody mm. seems to be under that extra little bit of pressure. It's just it's the world championships as well. But it's also that island is just so special. It's that first blast of heat when you step off the airplane into that open air airport and you're like, 
oh my God, this is just incredible. But I think you're right. I think there's extra pressure and little mistakes that you can make are multiplied and, and magnified when you're on the island and you're in a, a world um, championship situation as well. Coming back to twenty, going back to 2019, were you happy actually after Kona? You know, were you happy with your performance? Um, like I said, I was satisfied. And I say satisfied because given the mistakes that I made, which were very obvious mistakes. So what I what I said is I, I took on too much sodium actually leading into the race, which made me swell. Um, I actually gained weight in the race. Can you believe it? I'm probably one of the only people that can say that. Um, but as a result, I, I had too much salt instead of, you know, limiting it because I'd already acclimatized. So stupid things, like I said, I swelled out of, out of my shoes and my hands were swollen. Everything was just so tight. It was just so uncomfortable. So given that state, and to finish within the top 20, you know, first South African, I'll take that. Uh, I'll be satisfied, like I said, satisfied with that performance given the state, but still hungry and still believe I didn't execute upon my training, which is exactly it. You just want to go there and execute what you've seen in training. You can't outperform your training, unfortunately. I was just going to round back to talking about going to a world championship and say in 2020, very similar to what we were discussing, when you do go to world stage, seeing everyone's responses to their performance in Challenge Daytona, you know, with the PTOs having supported it, it's it was exactly the same. You went there, you probably asked a little bit more, you probably did a little bit extra, you changed or tweaked or did something that wasn't quite right or you didn't listen to your body when it did feel a little bit off on a one day because, well, this is the only race, the championship race, etc. And again, you see that the best of the best can have a bad day and then, you have some amazing performances um, as we did of the winners there. Yeah, so it's... Yeah, it's it's just, it's tiny things, isn't it, really? It's that tiny. It's like that 1% that uh, we often hear about. See, Chris Nickick, the athlete that had Down syndrome that completed Ironman. I can't remember which one he did now, but, but you know, his whole thing, his whole mantra was 1% better every day, which is not a lot, but it is a lot. Yeah. Well, it's exponential. And as somebody said, it's never the mountain, it's a little stone in your shoe that wears you down um somebody also wants the best metaphor i used is like if you put one piece of paper there you can easily tear it but if you put another piece of paper and another piece of paper and you end up with the stack it's hard to tear a book and that's the one percent right it's just be, makes it a lot more stronger and a lot more better than than you were and i think it's taken me a long time and, and i keep having to relearn that lesson and or keep repeating it to myself you know whether it's injury whether it's training whether it's getting better um consistent patient you know just just do it consistently every single day just show up and some days you aren't going to be motivated but you need to out of discipline and you will be better you will be better i yeah. guess that's it and consistency <laughs> but i really love that idea around the book and the paper i think you should be putting that on a um, motivational quote somewhere um so your your rise in triathlon also mirrors your rise in business as well um you know the the job you have if you want to explain to us in layman's terms what is it exactly that you do in your i'm going to say inverted commas day job because you're juggling two full-time jobs Absolutely. Um, so I think my elevator pitch would be I sell money to corporate. Um, but ultimately, I just I fund corporate. So the likes of your big companies listed on the Joburg Stock Exchange, so the London Stock Exchange, etc. But in South Africa, in particular, and in particular, I cover the coastal regions in South Africa. So that would be Western Cape, Eastern Cape and um, KwaZulu-Natal. And I, I pretty much um, fund them through whatever instruments 
we have available. So anything from equity, hybrid debt into, um, you know, bank loans, etc. So, and are you managing a team as well as managing a portfolio of clients in your role? Um, I manage project teams on each of my deals, but not a team in itself. And the reason for that is the structure that we use. So I report into Johannesburg, but I actually live in, in Cape Town because I'm a resource for those regions. So I'm sort of almost an umbrella over the various different areas in Joburg that I can then use their their team members. So I get allocated for whatever role that is. Yeah. So talk me through a typical day. What time do you get out of bed at? Um, funnily enough, pre-COVID, um, I would get up at about 4.30 to be in the pool at five um but post-covid <laughs> and so giving all the secrets away and um, the post-covid i can actually just rock up on a zoom call or a um team's call um straight off the bike so i can get up a little bit later and as a result my day i actually have for me it's benefited in having a little bit more recovery and i look i, I want COVID over i want normalcy so don't get me wrong but it has come with some silver linings um, so at the moment, I probably get up at like 5.45 and then, you know, get started at, at about 6. And our gyms now also have specific hours, so they can only open at 6 anyway. Um, they used to be able to open from 5. So I was literally the first person knocking on the door, hi, let me in. Um, should I continue pre or post-COVID? Pre-COVID, oh. at the height of your business role and the height of your training. Okay, let's go with that. I would wake up at 430 um, have a cup of coffee, be in the car by quarter to five, head to the gym and or, and that's to swim, obviously. If I was um, doing a run or a cycle, I would do that either from home or on the treadmill or on the trainer. And, and typically during the week, I'm only on the trainer, even sometimes on the weekends, but it's just efficient. It's quick for, for getting to work, getting to the shower and moving it at office anywhere between 7.30 and 8. And then it depends on how the day what I've got in for the day or what I had to do for the week. So so usually on Sunday, I will kind of have an idea of what kind of training I'll have for the week and what client meetings I have for the week. And I try and arrange it and be available at specific times. So then I'd go into to the office and I'd work till about probably 10 or 11.30. And, and so this, is, this will answer a lot of people's questions and probably your question is, how do you balance? And it comes down to, for me, discipline. So when I'm busy in the throes of doing something and I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got to get this out and it could take me another two hours. I'm just going to focus. But if I don't put down my pen and walk away from my computer at that exact time, the day is gone. You know, it'll be three o'clock. I'll have missed whatever training I'm supposed to do at that point in time. And you can't catch it up. So put down the pen, go and do whatever training I've got to do if it's a three session day. And so usually that's between an hour and an hour and a half. And so if it was a run, I would run from my offices. Um, luckily, I know the routes around my offices. There's a gym right by my office as well, 200 meters. So if it was a swim, I could jump into the pool there. Um, if it was a bike, typically I would ask my coach to do my bike either at the beginning or at the end of the day, because middle of the day, it's a little bit more difficult to 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 jump on the bike. Otherwise, it'd have to be a watt bike in the gym and not my bike, which I prefer to be on my bike and so does he. And then I'd go quickly shower and then back at the office or at client meetings and finish out whatever work that I had to do. And again, um, you know, it's it's calls with clients, it's meetings with clients, it's it's getting pictures, it's um, coming up with clever ideas, it's internal meetings. So, I mean, the minutia of investment banking is very, very interesting to us investment bankers and very not interesting to the rest of the world. So I go to the detail of that. Um, and then usually, again, the discipline comes in 3.30 or 4 o'clock. 
that's when I like to do the last session of the day. And that might sound like, okay, well, oh, Anna's out for the office the rest of the day. Um, I like to do it then and then have a shower and then continue my work at home. And then I can go on to whatever hour it is to get it done. But I can have dinner in front of my computer if need be. But I've done my training, which takes the stress off having to do that session. And that's the perfect day. Um, there's never the perfect day, right? So you always get thrown a bit of a curveball. And I do get the anxiety of like, how am I going to fit this all in? Or where's it going to go? And I have gotten onto my bike at like eight o'clock and finished at nine and done some silly things like that. But on the whole, you, you become incredibly efficient, um, so, so the chatty part of me isn't as chatty and isn't as social during the week because I'm like, okay, what do you want? What do you need? What can we get asked? How do we do this? Um, get on the bike because you don't have time to think, oh, I'd rather just sit here for too many minutes and stare at my bike beautifully than get on it. You're like, okay, get on the bike. Let's go. Um, so you do become efficient. You become very disciplined. Um, and I think the reason for that is if I'm not, it's gone. But also I feel a huge sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. I'd be like, whoa, I've done all of this. This is amazing. Also quite nice is you're so tired, so you don't have to worry about falling asleep. <laughs> so what time do you go to sleep at night then? What time is bedtime? I mean, ideally, like my goal is always to get to bed at about, um, to be in bed by nine. If I can be asleep by nine, that would be perfect. And typically it's 9.05 that I'm asleep by bed. <laughs> Um, if I can get to bed by nine, then I then I know that at least I'm getting sufficient sleep. Because what I used to do when I was an age grouper, I kept on eating into my sleep time. I'd get up at three o'clock so that I'd be on the bicycle at three thirty. Um, you know, I remember finishing a client meeting at nine o'clock and going out to do my heel repeats at ten o'clock um, at night, eating at like I think twelve and waking up at three. And I was like, this is just not sustainable. And I would have actually reached burnout, I think, um, if had I not gone, okay, I need to try and manage my life around this and, and say no to things and say yes to things. But but again, then what happens, like I said, is your job doesn't become a five day a week, it's a seven day a week. And that's I'm okay with that as long as I can then do everything that I want to do in it. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say to you. You are passionate about what you're doing across both. Um, so seven days a week doesn't make any difference to you because you're getting to do what you love every day, whether that's swim, bike, run or whether that's the investment banking side of things. The, the question I would like to ask you, though, is uh, do you thrive under pressure? Do you find you thrive more when you're under a deadline for work or when you're a minute behind the leading athlete and chasing them down or when they're a minute behind you chasing you down? You know, is, is that pressure, is that part of what just drives you to be better every day? So it's interesting that you say that. I think the, it depends. Like you say, a minute. Um, the way I describe it is you've got to have goals and they've got to be just out of your reach, but almost in your reach. Because if they're so far out of your reach, it's almost it's just disencouraging and you just can't, you just, you might as well give up. But if they're just there, like if they're just a minute ahead of you or just a minute behind you, that's close. You can, if they're 10 minutes ahead of you and it's a half marathon, well, then you start figuring out the times that you have to run. You're like, well, when it's so far out of your reach, it can be so disencouraging when it's just there and there's a little bit of pressure. So you don't want a deadline that you have to meet seven o'clock in the morning. But if it's like, OK, in the next two days, you need to have this big pitch ready and you've got to do all this work and it's attainable or just slightly unattainable, then absolutely. Then I think you can perform. Then the magic kind of comes alive because you're in, in the race or in the pitch or whatever it may be. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. So I think there's, there's there's good pressure and bad pressure. I, I suppose it's just it can be positive and negative. <laughs> 
And of course, we haven't even touched on what your 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 program of, of training would look like during COVID. But I'm not going to ask you that question because I want to talk a little bit about what you're at now. Back in December, you had a horrific accident would be one of the ways to describe it. Um, we're not going to go into too much detail about it, but just to maybe describe to the listeners, you know, what happened um, and how far you've come since that date when unfortunately you were out running and got hit by the taxi. Yeah, so um, like I said, my coach is quite good. He he changes things around. So I never really know what I'm what to expect. I kind of have an idea for the week. But on this particular Saturday, I had to start with a run. Um, and I and I headed out, said goodbye to my boyfriend, headed out, and 300 meters into my run, um, I got hit by a taxi bus. So that's um, sort of a minivan for people that aren't in South Africa. Um, you know, it was a pure accident. I remember seeing this taxi coming at me, thinking in my head, sprint. The rest is pretty much a blackout. Um, ended up in ICU with with a lot of damage to the body for the next three days and, and then was discharged um, at the end of that week, the following week, which was quite lucky. My, my doctor at the time, and, and I laughed because my doctor at the time was like, we're not chasing you out. You can stay. But they were starting to cordon off our ward for COVID for the second wave. I was like, no, I think it's time I must go home. Um, and uh, you know, we briefly mentioned before before we were chatting. What was very interesting from that outcome is almost how an endurance athlete prepares for for all eventualities. Um, not that I wish this upon anyone, but our bodies are so used to being damaged, repairing, recovering, and going through that cycle that actually, when my doctor took my markers, my inflammatory markers, it had just registered above normal. Uh, which means that my body hadn't realized it had gone through a trauma and was like, oh, okay, this is just normal day-to-day kind of training. Um, we actually said it would be quite interesting to see what your markers say after you've done an Ironman, if it's any worse. Um, and as a result, I think my body has been repairing quite quite quickly and strongly, but um, I've been sleeping a, a lot. Like if I tell you, and I don't really nap. I don't have time to nap, right? So <laughs> during that time, I was taking two-hour naps during the day. Um, at the end of the day, I, I get really tired. The one day my boyfriend thought that I was like, are you okay? Because I said, I've got to get home right now. We've gone for a little walk on the promenade. I said, I've got to get home right now. And I went to bed at 7 o'clock and I thought, okay, well, I'll wake up early. And I woke up at like, I don't know, 9 the next day. And I probably could have slept for another two hours. So I think the sleeping really helps, which goes to show, you know, in triathlon and in training and in work, sleeping is the best recovery. And I think I was swimming. I got into the water and I was aqua jogging. Um, and I've come from aqua jogging to swimming 500 meters and getting out and being utterly exhausted to now up to three kilometers and doing some tumble turns. The speeds aren't that great at this point in time, but I'm getting there and starting to get on the bike. I did a two hour turbo session yesterday. Again, didn't shoot the lights out, but two hours on the bike and you feel like you've done something. I say to somebody, I don't feel I'm training. I feel like I'm exercising. And as I'm getting a little bit more, I'm getting hungry, hungry for it more. So I feel Look, it's six weeks and a day <laughs> to this day um, since the accident. And I think like everything in, in performance, whether it's sport or your corporate career, I think it's having the patience and consistency in every day, like we're saying, doing, being that 1% better or laying another page down and not rushing it because you don't one day go from running, you know, five-minute Ks to running four-minute Ks. Although from running five, you do progress a lot faster than, say, from four to three. 
but it's all incremental. And you, I think you just got to love the process. And I really, really do love the process. I think the reward often is for success, isn't a winning of a race, but ultimately, you know, just that enjoyment of that training from day to day. If you're not, then you should probably shouldn't be doing this. It's like uh, getting to run down the finish line of an Ironman, 140.6 miles. That's like your glory lap. It's not just yes. the day of the race. That's your victory lap. It's actually the journey that you've been on to get from from where you were when you started to where you are now to becoming um, an Ironman. Do you think in a way has COVID and the accident helped you to slow down maybe? And is that a positive thing for you in your life? Um, it's a very tough question because a lot of people have said it's the world's way of telling you, Anna, you need to slow down a little bit. Um and my knee-jerk reaction when somebody says it, I want to say, but I'm not going that fast right now. <laughs> I like, you know, like it wasn't going that fast. I needed more anyway. Um, I think it's told, you know, sometimes when something like this happens, and not that I, I was near death, but it was a fundamental experience to think that I could have been brain damaged. Look, I met the two cyclists that saw the accident and they said to me, the, the one guy had tears in his eyes when he explained the accident to me and it made me quite emotional. He says, I don't know how you lived. If you were a smaller girl you and smaller, not less athletic, you would not have survived. And both of them said the same to me. And so then I go through like, well, I could have been brain damaged. I could have been paralyzed and I could have died. And I think it just says, look, my boyfriend thinks this is very morbid when I say this, but he has estimated the probability of his life, put in marbles into a vase. And each of those uh, marbles counts for a month of his life. And at the end of the, the month, he takes that marble and he throws it in the bin. That time is gone. So it's made me reassess where I spend my time a little bit. Um, and I think that I have such finite time anyway in life. And I was like, should I be doing triathlon? Is this the world's way of telling me I shouldn't be doing triathlon? And as I've kind of got more and more covering, in fact, it's actually got the hunger and the deep desire for it even more and I think it's just I do get I do get to live I get to live and we as triathletes and endurance athletes get to live and see the world and experience things that I think very few no one really gets that suffering you know how we choose how to suffer and we get a we get a benefit from that suffering and I think that's just it's indescribable to me. I can't, you know, can't, sometimes can't put it in words that you must love each day, you know, as if it could be your last, because it could be your last. It could be. So that brings me nicely onto the question of what are the 2021 goals or the goals for beyond COVID? So going into end of 2020, the plan was to um, go and do an Ironman early in the year and start looking to qualify for Kona. Um, and so I was thinking of like Ironman Texas in April which now is just not a possibility. So I'm looking probably at doing an Ironman in June, July, and hopefully by then we'll have mostly vaccinated, you know, things will have, travel will have opened and races will be starting to open. But ultimately to get to to Kona, I think I have big dreams for Kona. I, I have unfinished business there. I want to go and deliver upon my training. Um, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean you, you finish top 10, top 5, top 20, top 50, it means that you walk away and you gave everything you could. There was nothing else that you could have given on the day. And I, and I don't mean just for that day. I mean, your training was executed and you had that race, you know, where it's hard, but you still deliver and you walk away and you're just happy. Almost the perfect race for you 
It's yes. your perfect yes. race. It doesn't matter what else happens outside of your performance, but you walk away from it saying, that was my perfect race. And to talk about perfect, because it's also quite difficult in Ironman, but perfect can also be you controlled the uncontrollable. So if something went wrong, you were able to react to it in a positive way and execute it in a positive way. So I don't mean like, oh, you walked there and you finished it and you like hardly breathed. <laughs> um, I want to ask who or what have been the biggest influences in your life? Um, that's a re really tough question. I, I think about that a lot. Uh, I think there it's almost time and place and moments in life that become influences and can be lasting. You know, definitely my friends. So I would say from my family perspective, my mother and my grandmother. My mom passed away when I was very young um, and my grandmother raised me and she's incredibly strong. Um, a bit of a battle axe, but I think that her her kind of do or die attitude kind of settled with me. Um, I would say my best friend that I met in high school She's just always been a great sounding board and somebody that's always lived by values. She doesn't do triathlon. In fact, <laughs> she doesn't do sport. She really just exercises. So how are we friends and how she listens to me go on about triathlon all the time and endurance? And, you know, we can all get one so one-minded and single-focused is unbelievable. Um, and I think that she keeps me grounded. She'll be like, Anna, you're looking too muscular. You need to, like, sort that out. <laughs> or, like... Are you going out with your hair like that? <laughs> I'll be like, what's wrong with my hair? I'm an athlete. I can so do what she, I want. <laughs> exactly. So she keeps me very grounded. Um, my very close group of friends, but, uh, um, you know, I think that we call them the triangles, but each one of them has had a, definitely a, um, an influence. And then, and then I'd say the coaches in my life, um, you know, their belief, their friendship, um, their partnership has been, you know, for, from an athlete perspective, that is just, it's it's so hard when people chop and change with coaches. I wonder how they can do it because the deep, meaningful relationships you develop with your coach, you, it's a, such a team effort. You know, my losses are his losses. My wins are his wins or her wins. Um, and you really do travel a path together, you know, and, you know, your goals are so sort of intertwined. And then, I mean, lastly, I'd say is, is, you know, boyfriends I've had in my life, my existing boyfriend, Craig, he's just, he's the guy that's the most ethical person that I probably have ever met in my life. He just thinks about everyone, um, considers everything. And when I say that I'm being selfish, he turns around and he's always like, no, self-focused. And I like the way he thinks about those things. So, and that's a very wide group, but I, I think it's, I could probably pick out moments as opposed to, you know, just one or two people of influencers. I hope, I hope that kind of answers your question. <laughs> it does. And because when you ask that question, sometimes like who's your sporting hero or the biggest influences, people will talk about these superheroes that are the athletes or wise speakers or motivated speakers. But actually you bring it right back to your circle of support, which is obviously hugely important to you. Um, so it's just interesting to hear people's different perspectives uh, on their, their biggest influences. Your proudest sporting moment now, I know you were third at Ironman South Africa in 2019, which was the African Championships, which was a massive result for you. Would you say that's up there with one of your proudest sporting moments? Absolutely. Like it was one of those races that was sweet from start to finish. I went in there with with no expectations. You know, my boyfriend was there. My one of my best friends, Kelly, was there. My coach was there and his wife was racing. And I and I remember him before the race 
he sent me this long message the morning of, of like, this is the race to execute. This is what you must think. I've been thinking about it all night. So it obviously woken up and, and I went through a couple of times and then I saw him and I was like, oh, and he's like, I'm also nervous. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went into the race and obviously standing in the start line, it's, it's the worst time. It is actually like, why am I doing this? I never want to do this. I'm never going to do this. This is the last one I'm doing. After this, I'm going to ride for fun and have eat croissants every day. I don't know. This is, you know, you go through that like, why am I putting myself through? I'm choosing to put myself through this. What? Um, and then the race went off. And I remember come, like swimming and swimming pretty hard and coming out the water and hearing Paul Kay say that I was sitting in fourth. And I thought, oh, like you said, you know, you, you're in the race. Okay, I'm in the race. And then I just went and executed the plan on the bike. And I thought, whatever you do, just execute your training, do the plan. And I came off um, fifth off, off, off the bike. And then, then I went running. And I thought, oh, I'm running really slow <laughs> this time. <laughs> like it felt slow because I didn't look at my watch once. And then I started seeing that I'm, you know, was creeping in. But I think the amazing thing about being a South African on South African soil was having the crowds there. And South Africans, as the Irish can, get quite unruly. So every time I was approaching a group of people or, or, or um, supporters, I'd hear this roar. And it was just like goosebump roar my name and everyone would scream. And I, like, I, I ran that whole race with a smile on my face. And I don't run with a smile on my face. Like, like usually there's no expression because you're just running. And I think everyone was like, look at her. She's so happy. She's smiling this whole race. Um, and I got in, I think about 16 Ks, three and four were together. And I passed them both. And I kind of, it was at an aid station. I wanted to grab a juice, but also like say something like, you know, good race. Well done. Cause both the girls rode in exceptionally well. I didn't have time. I didn't have the words wanted to get the Coke. So eventually just ran past and I thought, well, well, this is only 16 Ks. I mean, this is not, this is not done. This is far from done. And I was calculating how many laps there were to go, you know, and every time I passed the group now, they were like, well, now you're in third, come, you can get second. <laughs> <laughs> kind of in my head I was like okay Lucy is qualified for Kona there's two slots in Kona this is a Kona slot just don't stuff it up and I got to one of the turnaround corners I was like oh what does that feel like in, like in your you know um, hamstring I was like it's nothing it's nothing just keep running because everything starts to like you start what is that what is this and I also thought when I like ran into to third I thought well I can't walk now <laughs> like, no, I'm gonna run the whole thing um and I I remember getting to the last turnaround and and it started being a little bit more tangible, like it was two kilometers to go, you know, for, for fourth to kind of run me down. That was going to take quite a bit. And it, and I was focused and I had all these friends of mine, they were doing the race, they're doing an Ironman themselves. They're putting themselves through this, would run across the road and give me their energy. Oh my God, you've done it. You've, this is amazing. And it was just one of, like I said, it was one of those races that I came and I executed my training to perfection and yeah, like, you know, when you, when you put in the efforts and the effort actually converts to speed is just a sweet, sweet moment. And I remember that crossing that line and just thinking, I actually can't, like, this is what? <laughs> Considering when you did your very first Ironman, you said, I'm never doing one of them again. And there you are coming third in the African Championships. Absolutely amazing. Uh, goosebumps again when you were telling me about uh, the, the crowd support and, and the people. And uh, it, there's something very special about it. Um, I'm going to jump very quickly onto our audience questions. And it's a fellow South African first. It's Elaine McCann. Aside from your swim, bike, run, your hikes up Table Mountain, do you also include weights or yoga or similar in your training program? 
Um, not at all. Which is quite, that's a very straightforward answer. Um, I don't actually include weights in my, because of the time limits that I have. So I, I work with um, a coach that is under the Sato banner. And you'll know, you know, if you don't have if time, how they efficiently sort of weight train you is through what the activity in itself. So a lot of paddles work, um, you know, in the pool, a lot of big gear work on the bike, a lot of heel work on your run. That strengthens you up without, and it strengthens you for that, what you're going to be doing as opposed to, to not. I think if you have extra time and you want to do it, great. But I mean, I think there's far more benefit in being able to swim four kilometers and finish without being out of breath or completely fatigued that you can actually ride another, you know, 180 kilometers. So again, it's really by the guidance of my coach, but it, it's just an extra bit of time that I don't have for with the hikes. Um, so I've been incredibly lucky um, when the races started, well, I wouldn't say shutting down, but being postponed. Um, my coach said, well, do you want to go for a walk and I was like well yeah he says you can go for a hike this day or a hike this day and I was like well actually yeah I wouldn't mind and then I went hiking and then I found muscles I'd never used in my life and we kind of said okay well you know we'll go do hikes on Sundays during this almost off season of of no racing and there was a little bit of strength training within that um, and a lot of refresh to the head you know there, there was no pressure to perform there was no pace not that you ever have like a specific pace, but you can start putting that on yourself and going a bit crazy. And so it became more of a social thing. I'd go with a couple of friends, socially distanced masks, um, but also being outside and being able to explore things that I hadn't explored before. So that that was a great thing for my head and for my body. And as a professional athlete, you probably don't get the opportunity to train with other athletes, unlike age groupers who would be in clubs and in training groups because you obviously have to do your own thing and your own your own programme. Um, Elaine also asks if you'd ever consider tackling the Comrades Marathon because she said you always look so comfortable and strong on the run. Um, she actually has a couple of questions. So there's the running question. She'd also like to know, do you ever swim in the Baltic? Atlantic Ocean or do you stick to the pool and um, do you Zwift and when are you going to join our Monday night Zwift spin which we host uh, every Monday at 7.30 Irish time probably too late for you but they were her three main questions so um, definitely I think comrades is for South Africans something that needs to be ticked but as somebody once told me that did half Ironman Ironman and comrades in the same year they said when they got to comrades they've never felt more awful they wanted to sit on the side and rather stick needles in their eyeballs and continue one more step of the conference which really has resonated well it's stuck with me ever since but then having seen Gerda win um, and just look unbelievable at the comrades it's definitely something that I want to do but I, I think it'll be something I do when I've finished racing you know in in professionally in triathlon um when it comes to the atlantic it's quite funny so there's the canal swims that we do so that's in the um the waterfront canals you can swim in the canals with atc atlantic triathlon club they do it in summer on friday mornings and in winter on saturday afternoons and it's pretty much close to swimming in the open water in terms of temperature but there's not that many waves but i have a little bit of a goal and a also another a tick box you can do the robin island swim so you swim from robin island to bloberg it's seven kilometers it's the crossing you used to only be official if you did it in a non-weight suit so 
what you do and I think you're crazy. <laughs> you guys are going to have to come and do the Robin Island crossing. It looks amazing and it probably is well suited for you. But I think I, I've got a little goal to do that, but I would do it in a wetsuit and a hoodie. I, I don't deal well with cold. <laughs> Even in the the, the um, virgin active pools, so that the gym pools, if I'm not going up and down constantly, I'm like sitting on the side, like freezing and everyone's like, it's so balmy and warm here. <laughs> and then um, her final question was, do you Zwift? I do Zwift. I, I Zwift and I Ruby. So um, my coach is a big fan of Ruby, um, which I really enjoy. But if, I started Zwifting years ago and I kind of continue that. I, I do enjoy it. And um, yeah, I mean... Whilst I'm recovering, very happy to join a, a Zwift um, at 7.30. But I think that's, are we 9.30? It yeah. might be a bit late. It me. might be a bit late, but you could just jump on the Discord app and say hello to us. You don't even have to be on your bike. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go and watch. Yeah, go watch. Um, so Francis Yates, who is the chairperson of Galway Tri Club here, asks how you manage um juggling being a professional triathlete and investment banker when most of your competitors are full-time triathletes. But I'd nearly add to that question and ask, do you ever feel like you're missing out because you're not giving your full attention to your sport? Um, there's, I mean, I, there's two ways to answer that. I think the one is sometimes it's nice not to think about triathlon and let it be so all-consuming in I have to do this. I have to do that. Or you, if you're not doing triathlon, are you on social or what are you doing? I actually have a little bit of a distraction. So mentally it can actually be a little bit of a benefit. I think sometimes from an anxious or pressure perspective and having this like, Oh my goodness, I've got to get this out. or I need to meet this budget, et cetera. I think that pressure does, doesn't help with recovery. Um, and that's tough. So I don't think it's it's necessarily the training in itself. It's the recovery that sometimes I feel that I might be missing out on. And I think that's where I need to be like really disciplined about trying to get into bed, trying to make sure I use my time efficiently. Um, you know, I took three months off after Ironman South Africa leading into Tacona and there is a big difference in being able to wake up later and and not have the pressure of everything on you. And yes, I think that that is huge. If you're lucky that you're able to do that, that's great. I think this is kind of my lot and I'm willing to work with it if it's all I've got. Michelle Van Deventer, part of the Team Passion Fit Crew. It's funny how what you've just said there leads into her question, which is how do you balance working in a highly pressurised environment whilst getting enough mental recovery after your tough session? So it's one thing to have the physical recovery and yeah. the sleep and that, but actually your brain is turned on all the time, all the time. Yeah. So that's a very good question. Sometimes I have come to the end of the day and thought, how am I going to suffer? Because you that's your head. It's not your body. How am I going to push myself to suffer tonight? Um, and usually it's half the battle is just starting the warm up. And then once you start the warm up, you're like, actually, this could be quite fun. This could be quite nice. And you're able to push yourself. And I think that's the nice methodology about um what Raphael does and under the tricerto is it's that and everyone's really heard of it, moderate, medium mad so it's always how do I perceive the effort today and if it was all I had to give today and it didn't convert into anything that's great and um so sometimes I will write in my comments to him uh not happy with the outcome of the whatever numbers are or the time or whatever very happy with the effort it was all I had today and so we, we balanced it like that I think that ongoing conversation then sometimes he pulls back and he'll go okay tomorrow's a rest day and he's able to do that quite. And, and, and I think that for me, and trying to balance it and, and having gone through age group and, and pro, 
um, if I was left to my own devices, I think I would push too hard. Whereas having somebody tell you what to do and me just executing on what to do takes that pressure off and does make it a lot easier to balance it and be disciplined around around that. And then I just really have to think at work and execution as opposed to work the plan, where am I going to put the training and how am I going to, you know, all of that and put those puzzle pieces together. So that does help. Interesting. Two points you make there. And I was actually just chatting to a friend about this the other day about um, having a coach. It's not just about the coaching that they'll give you. It's the fact that they're making the plan for you so you don't have to think about it. But also they'll rein you in when you think you want to be go, 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 go 110% when actually your body needs a break. So having a coach tell you that, you know, we're all about self-regulation and accountability, but sometimes our self-regulation radars are off and we get FOMO if we see somebody else doing training and we're not. And it's like, well, actually, how do I manage this? So actually having a coach um, is of benefit uh, as well. You were going to say something there before I jumped in. No, I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. What, what I was going to say is, I mean, I, I'm like, I'm not perfect like anyone else. I've had moments where I've cracked, um, you know, and, and the pressure of work has been very overwhelming. I think that's why it comes back to trying to be planned, trying to be disciplined, spending some time on the weekend, preparing for the week ahead um, and all of those those things. And I mean, sometimes I do drop the ball. <laughs> it's not, it's never, it's, you know, and those are the things that we don't show people because, you know, it's it's day to day minutiae of your life. It's, but I think on the whole, if if you if you love what you do, if you're honest about it, and and like I said, disciplined. I know I keep saying that word, but I think also Iliad Kiproji. Kipro, pronounce that. I think it's Kipchoge. Kipro, my yeah. goodness, and I am African. I should be able to at least be able to say it. But anyway, um, he always says discipline is freedom, and I kept on thinking about that, and I was like, it really is because when you spend. And I, and I try to put it with with like terms of finances as well. Like if you invested 2,000 Rand for the first six years of your life and if you didn't in, you invested zero and then from six years invested that 2,000 Rand, how many years would it take you to have accumulated what that investment will be after 30 years? And literally you would have had to invest that 2,000 Rand for the next day. So I think it's just making the right investment decisions of time, effort on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Yeah, I think that's very sound advice for for every day. Final question from Kevin Duggan. How do you mentally deal with the pain to help get through a hard workout or a really tough race? Do you have any secret techniques or strategies to help you go faster? I mean, I've sometimes gone through, um, I was actually thinking about it yesterday because I got off the bike and I was like, oh, I might have pushed a little bit hard for where I am at this point in time. But can you remember when you were so much better at this sort of time? And I remember doing these intervals and I was, in my last interval and I was going as hard as I can and I wanted to have a little cry because it was so hard. And I was like, you just keep pushing. It's just fine. Um, and I, th- I think, I think my mantra is like your body will get used to this. It's, it's actually just stop listening to your body. Stop listening. Just don't think about like, I keep trying to think about something else, almost distraction as opposed to that. But I also believe that you, you train your brain in the hard times to get comfortable with pushing hard. So it's almost like that we were saying, you know, you stack the paper upon each other and that's not your body. It's also your mind, like to be able to push every day or push for that session or get into that uncomfortable place. You're not just training your body. You are training your mind. I think it goes back to Michelle's point, which is 
it's mental strength on a day-to-day basis as well. I don't have a mantra like shut up legs, which I wish I did. I actually thought about it the other day. I was like, it shouldn't be shut up legs. It should be shut up head because it's not your legs that say no. It's your head that says no. That's it. Exactly. I'm going to finish up now with one final question and ask you, have you ever been to Ireland or do you ever plan to come to Ireland? So I have some good Irish friends, believe it or not, and they live there. And I met them in New York and we went up Kilimanjaro together and they always say what's the crack so I do know what's the crack and then I saw a mini with crack on it c-r-a-i-c so just in case anyone thinks that we're talking about crack um but yes absolutely I've always it's always been on my to-do list and and one of my best friends the one that lives in New York is actually Scottish so I haven't even been to Scotland and yet I lived and went to school in England for like a good four or five years of my life. Can you believe it? So yes, I would love to come there. I I love the people. I love the culture. And I hear it's absolutely beautiful. And the Guinness is tasty too. It's good for you. (laughs) We can't, we can't get alcohol at the moment. It's not, it's not for sale. No, I heard that. I heard that. Well, well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of Guinness to be had. And hopefully you might come over on holidays or come over and race with us at Ironman Cork at some point in the near future. But thank you so much for being a guest on the show. You've been a breath of fresh air and a tonic it's been fabulous talking to you thank you so much (laughs) thank you so much for having me you have been awesome as well it's been great to get to know you thanks for tuning in i hope you enjoyed this episode don't forget you can get in touch with any feedback or guest suggestions by emailing me on trytalkingsport at gmail.com connect with me on social media you'll find me on facebook twitter linkedin and instagram pop by and say hi let me know what you think of the show and if you're new to try talking sport please do go back and check out some of our previous episodes our guests are simply amazing Until next time, stay safe, keep smiling and remember to look for fun and adventure in every day.